Good morning. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. I'm your show host, Randy Fine. Today we have with us Dr. Irvin Laszlo, who is a Hungarian philosopher, science systems theorist, theorist, integral theorist, and originally a concert pianist who has published about 75 books and over 400 papers. An advocate of the theory of quantum consciousness, Dr. Laszlo has a PhD from the Sorbonne and is the recipient of four honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, Finland, and Hungary. He has many awards and distinctions, which include the Peace Prize of Japan, the Goy Award, Tokyo 2002, the International Mander of Peace Prize, uh, and a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize 2004 and 2005. Formally, Professor of Philosophy, System Science, and Future Studies in various universities in the US, Europe, and the Far East. Dr. Laszlo lectures worldwide. Um, and today he lives in a 400-year-old former chapel in the hills of Tuscany, Italy. And so I bring to you today from Tuscan, Italy, Dr. Laszlo, and it is my absolute pleasure to talk to you. So welcome. Randy Fine, it's great to talk to you. Yes, it's so nice to talk to you. <clears throat> okay. Um, so we're talking about your book, Dawn of, um, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, New Paths to a Better World. And you have some very, very interesting things to say that we really all need to hear. So in your book, you talk about how we are changing. And I know this is a very broad question, but how are we changing? And let me add on, you can add on to that. Where are we headed? I wish I knew. I wish anybody <laughs> knew. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know where we should not be heading. Okay. I also have an idea of where we should be heading. Okay. We're still not knowing where we are actually heading, but we can do our best to change the direction that we're heading because it's not, a, if, if it's just repeating what we've done in the past, it's not a good direction. You know, Lao Tzu, the great sage of Asia, of India, had said, if we don't change direction, we'll end up exactly where we're headed. He said that centuries ago. And that is true. Because if we don't change direction, we end up where we have been heading and where we continue to be heading. And that's not a good thing because that will create additional pressure, additional crisis. We have been heading into a very delicate situation where, where the very physical conditions for life on Earth, including human life and especially human life, have been in question. So we have got to change. We have got to change in a better direction. And I have some ideas um, that I've been sharing with my many publications now and many podcasts about what the possibilities are. He was a healer, of course, you would know very well that there are ways we can heal ourselves and there are ways that we can be mistaken about the, the way we treat ourselves and not heal but create problems with each other so i'm happy to discuss about some of these possibilities okay that sounds really good and we're definitely going to discuss them um you say that the pandemic has been an opportunity amidst the stillness to reflect on overcoming the old normalcy and normalcy and finding a new normalcy so what's 
going to change between the old normalcy and the new normalcy? And I know you say you wish you knew, but what are your theories? There's only one normalcy. Only one is genuine, true normalcy. The others are imagined, flawed normalcies. What is normal is what is coded into life, into the web of life. What is coded in the universe itself, because it's the way life grows and evolves on the planet. That's the normal way. We have been opting out of that way, and we've been creating an artificial synthetic environment for us, using our technology to compensate for faults and just to promote our own, our own well-being, at the, very often at the expense of life around us. So that's not a real normalcy. That's as a normal, right? But it's not the good norm. It's not the real one, not the genuine one. Right. But there is, of course, a, a real norm, the norm where life can flourish on Earth. We are a human being and a living being, and we are not that different from any other living being on the planet. We, what applies to them as a norm for striving applies to human beings as well. Only we have forgotten that, and we thought that we can create our own artificial ways of going. So it's time to move back and find the normalcy, which is really the norm for striving on planet Earth. When was it normal, if not now? When did it go off the rails? Well, it's been going gradually. I think at least 200, 250 years. You know, it's associated with the name of some great thinkers whose followers have mistaken their ideas because I, I'm talk, I have heavy mind, in particular, Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin. I mean, there is, there, there is Newton and there is Darwin and there are Newtonians and there are Darwinists. And Newton was an intensely spiritual person. We know that because his writings have been preserved. They're still in the, in the manuscript form in the British Museum. Darwin also, if you analyze it better, we see he had talked more about love and belonging to each other, then talk about the, the, the strongest. Yet the followers of Newton talked about the universe as though the whole universe would consist of those mechanical laws and little mass points uh, that the, the, the mathematics of Newton foresees, mechanically interacting mass points. Darwin was taken by the Darwinists to talk about the survival of the strongest, which means the fittest meant by it, the followers meant the strongest. But Darwin didn't mean by fittest the strongest. He actually meant the most cooperative, yeah. the best, more flexible, that could, could work together with, with his others. Newton thought that there is the, the mass points are not all that there is in the universe. There's a deeper sense, deeper sense of what we call matter, it's more like a thought, more a spiritual thing than a pure mechanical, uh, material thing. So I think we can blame the followers very often, not the people themselves, because great scientists are usually, and this is, these are not no exception, but intensely spiritual people. Yeah. They operate not only by cool calculation of mathematics and statistics, they operate also by deep intuition. In fact, Einstein himself said that intuition is more important than rationality. Things start with intuition, then your rationality elaborates that, you know. But if you don't use our intuition, we can go off in the wrong way. So when did we go off? 
at least with, with the application of Newton's Principia Mathematica and with Darwin's or The Origin of Species, that's over 200 years ago. But then in the 20th century, they've applied the fantastic in innovations in technology to carry out what we really wanted to have for our own convenience without regard to what it does to the larger system of we are in a part. Mm. Just, just to, we, have, we have started overdoing individualism, which seems like a heresy to say that, because we have been extolling the individual, you know, getting away from collectivism, which was branded communism, which was well-meaning at the time, but it was very much mis misled the way it was applied. But the individual that became the ruling criterion of, of progress, of desirability, was separated from the rest of the world. The individual person, the individual nation, the individual enterprise, these are all were the things that were, of, of, which, uh, of which Donald Trump could have said, come first. He said America first. He could have said, you know, General Motors first, which was said also by the, by the former head of General Motors, actually. Or, or General Electric or any other, any other big company. So this is a problem because this kind of attitude doesn't keep account of what we nowadays realize is the wholeness, the wholeness of life, the wholeness of all the evolving systems. You can't take them apart. One thing is connected with all the other things. They're intensely whole. We know that's from quantum physics now. We know that's from quantum biology. And it appears in quantum consciousness research also. So mistaken, the, mistaking the part for the whole was a grievous mistake. And it created the kind of conditions on Earth which now threatened the very survival of the human species. So it's time to wake up. It's time to correct the fault. There's still time, I hope, I think. But we have to heal. This is a fine time, an important time to heal it, as you say. Wow, that makes so much sense. In your book, you talk about how science is changing and how scientists are going to see things differently. So I think you're, you're talking about quantum science, quantum physics. Is that really what you're talking about in that with that comment? And relativity, of course, and the new physics, the, the, the new science, which is now has a different basis. It's not based on the impersonal uh, mech mechanistic laws that has fabulous applications for technology with amazing uh, Newton's mathematics, Newton's laws. But we are talking about one step further. What, are, what is embedded beyond in the cosmos, beyond these laws? What generates the laws? The laws in new quantum science are a manifestation of something deeper. The loss doesn't occur on this superficial level of the everyday world. <clears throat> the laws of the world are, are what in quantum physics is called the implicate order, the deeper reality. It's not just imagination, although Plato was talking about the same thing 2,500 or more years ago, talking about the level of the, of the, of the forms of the ideas of the soul. Nowadays, we can talk about the implicate order or, or the quantum dimension or the universal quantum field or the Akashic field, as I've been talking about it too. 
So there it is. This is this is the new science is more than the science of superficial phenomena. It goes in in depths of what there really is, and what there is is much more than just meets the eye. <laughs> yes, and you know I've always known that, but it's really interesting to hear you put it in terms of. Um, science and you know because these the akashic records and all these kind of um topics all these kind of theories are have been very spiritual and very much removed from science and now you're sort of bringing them all together um you say that we need a common narrative to guide us to our evolution so when you say that you mean by the common narrative and I know that you mean that we should all be acting as one unit. Um, but is there more to that than what than what you've said um, previously? In this well, I have to agree on what I'd also be calling the new paradigm. That means a mindset. Okay. It's an idea set also. Mm-hmm. What do we really believe this world is? What do we believe who we are? This is not a mechanical aggregate, just a little a physical body of, of skin and bones. Mm-hmm. We are things. We have a consciousness. And we are part of the great wave of evolution that unfolds on this planet, has been unfolding for 4 billion years in the universe, 13.8 billion years. This is all what science now discovering now, ancient wisdom. So the discovery is just to show in a, in a provable way what we have known, suspected intuitively for thousands of years, you know, that things move together. If you read the Vatlao too and others said about the Tao, for example, it's very much the same sort of thing. It's all the great prophets of the religions who are talking about love as being the ultimate reality in the world and connect connection between people. Now we know this. Now we know that there is a scientific basis for that because there is no such thing as separateness in the world. Einstein said that, it's an illusion, he said. There's no such thing as one thing alone. I talked about individualism a moment ago. It's the same thing I mean now. Uh, Really, we are not really one thing here and now and the others are elsewhere and are other things. Ultimately, in the light of the new sciences, there are no other things. They're all part of one wave of evolution that's unfolding. Even our mind is, 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 is one. Strange to say that the greatest scientists were saying this. Carl Gustav Jung, for example, but also physicists like Erwin Schrödinger said, consciousness is one, he said. Very clearly he wrote that. There is no such thing as consciousness in the plural. Mm. So this is the same old idea, the, the spiritual idea that there is a cosmic consciousness of which we are all manifestations. Right. Our individual consciousness is an emanation, a manifestation of that cosmic consciousness. Sounds intensely spiritual, far from science, but it is the implication of the new sciences. That is amazing and i i love to hear that because these are you know i believe that i believe that we all um are from one consciousness do you think that chaos and confusion have to participate precipitate evolution 
um, as we go from, you know, metamorphize from the old to the new? Is that always the way it is? I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid it is. Fundamentally, little change will occur smoothly in a system. It's a system will compensate for it. It has resilience in it. It has, it, it has uh, complementarity of functions, uh, repetition of functions, backups, etc. And so a system adjusts for small changes. But when it comes to fundamental change, something has to kick that system out of its current regime, current way of working. And that's an expression com coming from cybernetics, giving the system an initial kick and to launch it on a new, new different trajectory of its evolution. This is how it's usually worded. We also know that chaos is both the breakdown of the old and, of, and the womb of the new. Chaos is a bifurcation. I like to call it a bifurcation. It's a very clear concept. It means that the evolutionary trajectory, the way a system evolves over time, front branches off into different branches. It, it, it cuts off, it selects some branch that is different than the previous one. On the whole, in general, we can say that a bifurcation either creates a higher level of order in what is now known in sciences as coherence, the interconnection between things, or it, reaches, or it leads to the dissolution and decay of the system that exists that undergoes this process of bifurcation. <clears throat> That's the choice before us. And we see it exemplified. I've been talking about this for 15, 20 years at least, writing more than a dozen books and about the bifurcation that's coming. And now it has come. And it's fabulous that actually, to my mind, <laughs> that it's, you see that what we've been talking about as something that is going to come has actually arrived. It's here. We are in the midst of a bifurcation. And we have this option of moving with it, reco recovering the normalcy, the real, genuine normalcy, or we're reaching toward higher and higher levels of instability. Mm -hmm. We talk about unsustainability. You know, this world as it is, is unsustainable. If you continue with it, you just will fail to sustain it, and then the, the system collapses. So that's, it's a very, very uh, sorrow, very brute and forceful change on alternative. Evolve or leave the scene. Evolve or go down. Do you think that that's, that happens with individuals as well as they evolve? That that because I see that there's there's always something like you say that sort of kicks you out. Um, it kicks you out of the old and into the new. Is that pretty typical with individuals as well? All progress, progress. This is the great invention of innovation, discovery. Let's say of the new sciences and the new system systemic approach or system theories. That this kind of evolutionary process that we're living through is not unique to humanity, it's not unique to the whole, whole a set of people, to society. It's, it's, it's all systems that have reached a level of complexity evolve the same way. It could be galaxies, you know, or it could be atoms. Yeah. If they reach a level of complexity, then it becomes unstable, and it either then it finds a new stability, a higher level of coordination higher level of coherence, as we say, or it goes and decays and ultimately it becomes extinct and disappears from the world. Wow. So it, 
applies to the individual, it applies to humanity, it applies to all species, it applies to the universe. And that, that really addresses the, the question people ask that why do they have to go through things? You know, why are things so hard? But I think that pretty much answers it. People are really, a lot of people are waking up um, and they're becoming more aware of their consciousness. I see this in my show with many people that I interview, with people that I talk to, and I'm just noticing this. Um, we're becoming aware of, of our consciousness and our oneness. But some of us are are able to grasp this and some of us are not. Why do you think this is happening? Well, why do we know? Why do we can perceive something and why, why some people do as others don't? You know, there's an old insight. It says, we believe, the skeptics say, we believe what you can see. But there's another side to this. We don't see something that we don't believe in. You know, it seems too spiritual kind of thing to say, but it's, it's actually experimentally true. If you strongly disbelieve a phenomena, you have great difficulty in even perceiving it. You know, we just don't see it. Right. So it very much depends on our mindset, on our consciousness. If, if, if we are not open to novelty, to new things, you know, then we are closed off and eventually we may go off on a, on a, on a, on a blind dead end you know if we don't change right we have to be flexible we have to enlarge our vision have to be open to new things and something else which is so interesting and important i've been talking a few days ago also with the head of the heart math institute you know the newest insight that i'm coming about is that our heart perceives information from the world picks up information from the world before the brain does our heart does really the heart does, yes. And it transfers to the brain in a split second. So it seems that the brain gets the credit. <laughs> and the brain is picking it up. Actually, the heart moves faster. The heart is the perceiver. The heart has its own intelligence. We talk about nowadays about the scientists talk about brain-mind coherence, okay. which means that the two are tuned together. So that's what the heart perceives is transferred into the brain. So the old saying is open your heart is a very real meaning in these days. If you open your heart, you perceive more things. You perceive the deeper reality in the world. We know that many, many uh, so-called non-ordinary kinds of information uh, come to us in altered states. It's said to be spiritual. It's said to be perhaps far out, only for prophets or shamans or whatever. Actually, these information come to us and when they come, they they seem to come at a deeper level of frequency. The fre I mean, the frequency of the electroencephalograph, you know, the EEG pattern. Oh, okay. You know, we ordinarily yeah. operate at a beta level in the everyday world, but this non-ordinary information comes about at the alpha level, you know, being an alpha state, one talks about, you know, mm -hmm. even below the alpha in theta, you know, and in delta, amazing. Ordinarily, we think that uh, people are in the delta state and the brain is operating on the delta level of frequency are in deep sleep. It seems that some spiritual masters and healers are awake and they are in a delta state, mm. you know, a deep level. <clears throat> but they can pick up that information. And now the insight that's emerging on the horizon, that actually it's the heart that picks up that information. And the brain, brain gets it gets transferred into the brain. 
So new perspectives, new perspectives, but also old insights. Let your heart connect you with the world. That's really a new concept for me. I, I have not heard that, but <clears throat> I know that in all spiritual work, um, the heart is really important. The heart energy is really important that we focus on that. So um, that makes sense. And I kept always tried to wonder what the relationship between the heart energy and the actual organ was. But you're, are you talking about the actual organ of the heart? Or are we talking about the energetic um, aspect of the heart? Well, the actual heart has an energetic aspect. Of okay. okay. But we are talking about the actual organ of the, the heart. Okay. You can measure the, the, the electrical, impulse, electrical impulses that are emitted by the heart. And we can see how they respond. These electrical impulses are following the information that seems to be embedded in us, that comes to us. And that's very often what, what the electrical impulses show that the heart responds to, appears later, sometimes seconds, that's a long time, seconds, you know. Seconds later, it appears in the brain and might be even much later appears in consciousness, if at all. It could be suppressed from consciousness. Right. But yes, you're talking about the physical organ, the heart. And it's now the scientists are measuring what is what is the energy state of the heart. Wow. That's <clears throat> phenomenal. Uh, you say if contemporary societies are to find the path toward an era of well-being, four fundamental questions need to be raised. And I'm going to ask you the four questions and then we'll go through them quickly. Um, what is the science of life? What is the true nature of healing and health? What is the condition we call well-being? And what is the true nature of healing and health? Oh, wait, I asked that question twice. I asked that question twice. Okay, so what is the science of life? Let me see what I missed. We can talk about that while I figure this out. <laughs> what is the science of life? Science of life are all the science, the biological sciences, obviously. And there's much more to it. And these are sort of deep questions, philosophical questions at the same time. And I would think, suggest that there is no substitute for them to reading actually what is said in the book, because they are, they are, there are no super good superficial answers. I could answer superficial, the science of life is biology, you know, but the new biology is very different from the previous biology. It's an integrated systemic biology. You know? I would think the science of life is the science of holism, the science of wholeness, which was uh, which has, has been around for thousands of years, but especially since the late 19th centuries, when John Smuts, Smuts has, has come up with his work on, on the holistic principles, has been dismissed as purely imagination. Now we find that what is emerging in the world around us, in the sphere of life especially, are not mechanical aggregates. They are about emerging is integral systems made up of many different parts, diverse elements in a unity, in a higher unity. So they, what emerging are wholes, wholes, complex and coherent wholes. The science of life deals with these wholes. And that includes biology, it includes physics, it includes physics and physical chemistry, certainly. You see. Includes ecology. Um, okay, so the second one is what is the purpose of life? Well, okay. <laughs> Partly I've written that book. Yes. 
I've also written a, a parallel book. Okay. Because that, it's called, it's an autobiography. Okay. It's it's called My Journey. My Journey. All right. Published at the same time as as the uh, Dawn of a New Age. It's published by the same publisher also, and it it really tells you the subtitle tells it all. It says a life in quest of the purpose of life. So I claim in this book that I spent my whole life from the, from the very beginning of my adult period inquiring, asking what could be the purpose of my life and of life in general. So, okay. so that's not something that superficial can say it's this or that, you know. But um, I, I'm looking for that. And I'm, what I'm convinced of is that there is a deeper purpose. We are not here by chance. We are not here just... Nothing is happens by chance. It's important to know. Yeah. There is this world, this whole universe could not evolve into how it evolved now. Purely by random interactions. That, that can be calculated. Random interactions among the among DNA could not have produced the genome of a fruit fly in the period since the Big Bang. Now that's, you know, that's statistics. Yeah, it cannot be random. It's amazing. It cannot be random. There is something deeper in that. So the purpose, the purpose, the answer to the purpose, to the question about the purpose of life is whatever is motivates, whatever is is pushing, drives us. What is the force by which we can go? When you can say go with the force, you know. What is the force? I think it's evolution. And I think we can show there's an evolutionary impetus. I evolu about... Evolution doesn't just exist on Earth, right? Evolution is a universal concept, right? Whatever brings individual quanta together into atoms, okay. into molecules, molecules into crystals, <laughs> into cells, into organisms, into ecologies, into galaxies, and that's all brings things together. It creates higher levels of, of systems and orders. And evolution is the process by which, from the Big Bang, individual quanta, they were never actually individual quanta, but it appeared to us in the, in the, in the chaotic conditions of the, of the early universe, that there would be just chaos in there, these little fluctuations. But ever since then, what brought this quanta together, the electrons and the neutrons, they made a hydrogen atom. And the neutrons and the, and the positrons, of course. Uh, so whatever brings these things into a higher level of, of order is an evolutionary impetus. And it created us, same way as it created the web of life on the planet. Hmm. It's in us. And right. finding I mean, plant life, animal life, it's, it's all, so, all interwoven. It's, it's, we all had the same origin. Everything had its origin in the Big Bang. And that's a current theory. Could be that they will say something else, but, but that this universe was not always the way it is. Mm -hmm. That seems to me practically beyond question. Okay. So you believe okay. in the Big Bang theory? Well, we don't know why it happened. Okay. We don't know what it is that happened, actually, because it's called a singularity. So it's not connected with anything else before or after, you know. But we do know that everything that occurred now originated from something else, <clears throat> from something which was basically more, more simpler, okay. simpler and less, less integral, less, less organized. Yeah. Okay. And its origin can be traced back 
when you trace it back, you get, that's the consensus now of the analysis, 13.8 million years, you get that consensus. So, okay, so you call, you say that something happened at that point, which created this process that created the world. Okay. And so, so we call that a, a Big Bang. Okay. There are many people who say it wasn't a Big Bang, it was something else. Maybe it was a fluctuation in the previous universe, you know. Okay. There, there are many different cosmological answers. We are going to organize in my, in my uh, institute, the LISO Institute, having periodic symposia. We are starting a, 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 a symposium tomorrow on and going for the next two days, next oh. three days, actually, on the new cosmology, the new paradigm in cosmology, discussing precisely what do we know about the universe, about the birth of the universe, and what kind of a universe we live in. You know? Wow. So these are deep questions that we can have a little, know a little bit more about them than we used to know. And it's worthwhile asking this question. That's exciting. That's exci- very exciting. Um, okay, so then the third question, what is the condition we call well-being? Coherence. Okay, I can answer that simply. Coherence, okay. Being coherent. Inco- okay. Being coherent within ourselves, with ourselves, with our surroundings being in it, being with it, instead of separating ourselves off. So I think coherence is, 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 is the key. You can call co- the appearance of coherence by, by another word. That word is love. Mm. Yeah. And you're coherent with something else. Then you feel it yourself one with that something. And then the way you love yourself, you can love the other thing. So what you can, in science, purely science terms, you call coherence can be expressed as the sense, as the feeling of, of unconditional love. I love that. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. And the, the fourth question is, what is the true nature of healing and health? And these are the four questions that were in there. So I'm asking you that. Uh, the true nature of healing and health. Well, still, I think it's, it's the best thing to consult. With you. I don't always remember what I wrote in every book of mine. <laughs> right, <laughs> Whatever comes up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think the true nature is precisely linked to this idea of, of being coherent. Okay. We are healthy. You're healthy when you're coherent. Okay. Healthy when you are one. And that's the new holism that we talk about also in this book. When you think of in terms of holes that emerge and, and things that are healthy when they are whole, when all its parts work together. You know, I had the fortune, the good fortune to work for some time before he died with the great Nobel laureate, uh, uh, physical chemist, Ilya Prigozhin. And he showed very clearly with his mathematical experimental approach that a human and any organism, living organism, is healthy and is able to survive, to maintain itself in this, what he called very improbable, physically improbable state of, of life, because life is not probably physically probable, you know. How come does we maintain ourselves in this in this very complex state? How come we don't go down to down to, to the simpler, simpler levels? But because you show that we actually stay up in this space, but the secret is all its elements, all cells in the organism work together. And they all have the same oriented the same way, oriented to the same purpose, which is to maintain the system in this improbable state. Just this is one way of conceptualizing it, because mm. physically it's improbable. Mm. The classical physics 
But I think in the new physics, we say that it's not so improbable because all life is, is, is universal. Life is not limited to one thing, one place only. So this improbable drive is really a very basic drive in the universe toward wholeness, toward complexity. So this is the, the new insight into health and wholeness. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, it's amazing to talk to you and hear all the changes because you're right up on, on all of these things. Um, Dr. Lazo, when did you begin to embrace these concepts? Because, you know, there was a time when these concepts seemed very radical and it seems so natural for you to embrace that. So would you call yourself an intuitive or is this based on education? What, where are you getting your knowledge from? Well, sure, intuitive, but it had to be backed by something. I used to be a concert pianist, you know, when I was a child and a young man. And actually I, I earned my living until, until I got to the age of 30 or so, you know, by giving concert, concerts worldwide. Amazing. And the experience of music is the experience of wholeness, of, of becoming, becoming part of a, of a tremendous wave or becoming in this field of, of where everything is, is working together with everything else. That's the, sort of the living experience of music, especially when you perform music, even more especially when you perform in company with others, chamber music or playing with an orchestra and so on, being part. And if the live audience, or the audience is also part of it, you know. <clears throat> So I, I had this intuition already uh, when I was a child. I, I had this musical experience from the time I was nine years old, I was playing concerts. I grew up in a family of philosophers and musicians, mm. and they asked these questions, you know, and they talked to me about it, even though it was too young to understand the details. And yes, someone stuck with me. And then I started inquiring into it, and I started picking up picking up uh, written works, you know, works of, of, of wisdom. The greatest influence in my mind was a former collaborator of Einstein, which is Alfred North Whitehead, who is well known to uh, philosophical-minded people. He was a Cambridge philosopher who then came to 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 U.S. and taught at Harvard and lived the rest of his life in Harvard. So his his big works like Process and Reality is a holistic philosophy of interdependence and of coherence. He didn't use those terms. He used his own very special language. It's difficult to understand. You know, talked about the, the individual prehending the world, you know, what I mean, prehending. Uh, but he, he meant by that comprehending the rest of the world more than just intellectual becoming one with the rest of the world and such things. So Whitehead was an influence on me. And then other people who followed the Whiteheadian school uh, like Northrop, Sigurd Northrop, for example, or Ludwig von Bertalan, systems theory. All these were influences in my life. So they followed up my intuition. So yeah. the answer is both intuition and reference to scientific work. Intuition right. is a guide, you see. Right. And then you try to substantiate if you're going the right way or not. Not everything works. And if, you, if you're not in the right way, you, the guide just tells you stop, you know, and doesn't work. I just follow the guide as long as I get a green light on it. <laughs> okay, that's the way to go. All right. Um, so, well, thank you. Uh, um, I know that we're going to um, try to finish this interview now so and give you a nice evening where you can relax. Um, but what is coming for you next? What, are, what can we look forward to? 
coming a little more light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> You're still in a tunnel. Okay. But there is a light at the end. We're beginning to see new thinking coming, being that we are not just pursue our short-sighted, narrow, selfish ends, but becoming more together on this planet, realizing that we don't make it individually if we are separating ourselves off. There's a new humanism coming. We have to allow it to come and we have to make it come in time because the problems themselves are becoming worse and worse. The environmental problems, especially also the human social problems. So I hope it's coming toward a bright alternative. Yeah. I have my newest book, uh, which is called The Upshift, is showing how they can thrive on planet Earth. Yeah. And its motto is the bright alternative. There is an alternative yeah. and there's a bright alternative. And I hope that we'll follow that. At least I'm trying to do my best to describe it so that people can say, aha, I knew this and I'd like to go that way. Oh, wow. You're just cranking those books right out, aren't you? They're coming through you very quickly. Yes, actually, you know, in terms of statistics, if you look at the latest statistics, I now have 106 different books to add credit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in terms, in terms <laughs> of, um, but the, not the number that counts, but I mean, I've been insisting now for a dozen years or more on the coming big change, the coming bifurcation, the coming systemic revolution, as it were. Mm-hmm. And it's come, it's been, we've been pushed into it. It came faster, actually, than I thought. And now we're in it. And what's coming is in our hands. But if we realize these ideas that we've been talking about and we follow them up, we can start living it. Then I think we'll take the bright alternative and we'll have make an unparalleled leap on, of human life on this planet. Mm-hmm. Was it, what a positive message to leave us with. Thank you so much, Dr. Laszlo. I so appreciate you giving us this time today. It's just been fantastic. And I really appreciate you putting all of this together in a way that we can all digest it and maybe really make it personal um, so that we can become part of the whole. Um, But I really wish you a wonderful day and I look forward to all the work, your future work, because it's all so exciting. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It's it's a a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, it's great to talk to you too. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Okay. Bye bye.